Welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Howdy, folks. This is your host, the Conzi with the most. I am joined by the one, the only, the Stark, the raving, the mad one himself. Hey, how's it going, Brian? Hey, hey, hey. Pretty good. That sounds great. So, hey, before we get started on the show, I just needed to ask you this this is a, a burning question everyone needs to know. So, how is that conversion on uh, Rachel Ghoul coming? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, so, everyone out there, just make sure after you listen to the show that you ask Brian what the the deal is with his Rache Al Ghul conversion that he's doing for the Batman Miniatures game. We'll uh, see if there's a future reveal here on what that actual detail of what that conversion is. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Maybe the secret will come out and somebody will steal it, and then I won't have to do it, unfortunately. That is true. Like, <laughs> I just want to see it done and done well, and I know that you would do it really well. So, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Someday the secret will come out. Today is January 27th, 2021, and you are going to be in for a treat. This is episode 77 of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. So, anyways, what games have you been playing, Brian? Uh, it's been pretty quick since our last recording, since we're on schedule. So, I think I only had a couple game nights in here. Did get to play in Terra Mystica. I think you were saying that's one of your favorite ones. It's the first time I played that. I'll say if you go to wiscodice.com, you can see Conzie's top 10 all-time games. And not to give anything away, but this game is definitely on that list. Well, yeah, it seemed pretty cool. I guess I didn't really look in. I mostly just looked at the rules of how to play it for the other night, but I don't really know what the fluff was of it. You're kind of like terraforming magically this world or whatever to create cities and stuff like that. And there's a bunch of different like magical races and stuff like that with different abilities. And it seems pretty interesting in depth. Uh, as you said, you it's one of your favorites, and it seems to have a lot of replayability to it too. So that was pretty fun. Um, that's probably the main one I played recently that's worth talking about. Um, it was just last week. Uh, I don't even remember what it was called now, but I was just like wiped out. And it was a pretty complex game to learn like 15 minutes before we played. And I was just like too tired and wiped out and I couldn't figure it out at all. So I just kind of played along with you guys in that one. Um, that, that's all right. I'm going to mention it here in just a moment. So don't worry. Okay. Oh, yeah. I see you have it on your list. So you can take care of that one, but that's what I've been gaming recently. All right. Well, I just came off of, uh, besides the just weekly game nights that the like you and myself and, and a couple others have been joining over the last couple of weeks, last weekend was uh, our weekend for CabinCon. Now, CabinCon normally for us is a... Uh, we all rent a, a, a fairly large house in the middle of some rural place in Wisconsin and uh, get together probably, I don't know, 15, well, somewhere around 15 plus people uh, for four to five days of just nonstop board gaming and eating and, and drinking and just general tomfoolery, right? 
And this year we couldn't do that because of uh, COVID-19 and, and all of that situation and trying to keep everybody safe. So we did it virtually for two days. And I've got to say the organization was top-notch. Uh, we did everything through Discord. So you just hopped onto a Discord uh, channel for whatever the appropriate sh- table was that you were assigned to for, or that you assigned up for that game for that period. It was very similar to almost a convention style where you had a, a game sign up with time slots and you could volunteer to run games or you could sign up for somebody else's game that they were running and then play those games. And so there were three games that I kind of came away from that that were of particular note for myself. Uh, the first game is a game called Concordia, which is uh, a very good game. And I do actually own a copy of it, but I've never played my copy. There's there's running out of games in my collection that are that I can say that about. Uh, but this game, you're uh, the the in Concordia, you're basically playing uh, a uh, I don't know some some form of nobility within the Roman uh, within the Roman Empire, and you're goal is to move forth the in command your part of the Roman legions to basically move out across the map and uh, take over very or not I shouldn't say conquer places because you're not really con- there's no military conquer or conquest in this game you're uh, basically establishing uh, towns or, or or resource collection in various uh, towns that you can then, tap for resources or you can recruit senators and you're basically collecting a set of cards that lets you um, everyone starts the game with the same hand of cards and you eat and each card is represents an action that you can take and so you play your cards to do different types of actions and then eventually you can acquire additional cards that go into your hand and there's one card in your hand that basically lets you when you play it, you draw back up all your discarded cards. So you can never play the same card without playing that card. You can't play it. You can't just play it and then play it the next round. So you got to kind of balance moving out with collecting resources so that you can establish control on various places on the board. And then um, there's an ability that you can. For, the board is separated into several regions, and those regions can be activated, and all of the towns in those regions then pay out. Um, or you can collect money from them. So it's like, and there's all sorts of different resources, brick and wood and that kind of thing. And it's it's just a great game. Uh, and I can't say enough about it. It's, uh, I would, you know, I'm looking forward to getting a, an actual physical copy play of that game here soon. Next game on the list was Tiawatakan, City of the Gods. This is a game where you're using dice in the place of workers. And this is the game that Brian and I played just the other day. I also got to play it. At Cabin Con, <laughs> Brian pretty much just autopiloted it through, but he, he didn't do too bad for you know not knowing the game that well going into it. Um, but anyways, in this game, you you basically move around, you move your dice. There's I think eight or nine action spots on the board, and you basically you're going to move your dice around the board in a clockwise fashion. You can move them up to one to three spots when you when it's your turn. And then once you move it, you have a choice of how you want to activate the tile you landed on. And if there are other dice there of different colors, you have to pay some food to be able to take the main action on that spot. Or you could go devote yourself to the gods and move up religion tracks. Or you could 
stop there and just spend the time collecting food and you gain food based on the number of different colored dice that are there. And then ultimately the game lasts for what's termed as three eclipses. And so there's a sun and moon track that's that you follow on the on the board, and when you hit an eclipse, then you score a whole bunch of points. Or the points do increase a bit for each round, and and I find it's a really fun game. Um, I found that actually the la- the latest two plays that I've had at four players seem to be the most balanced, close games where it didn't where you couldn't necessarily tell there was a runaway winner or in it. I do find when we play it at two players that the runaway winner syndrome kind of really seems to take off. But at four, it seemed like it balanced itself out a lot better, and I was really happy with it. This is a game that we actually reviewed at Wisco, on the Wisco Dice website, so if you want to find out more, you can check out our review on wiscodice.com. And then the last game I wanted to talk about that I ran at Cabin Con is Mysterium Park. Brian, did you, did we play this once before where I ran it with you with the cameras and, and played the physical copy of it while you were remote, or did you not do that? Yeah, we had done that a couple times. I think it was once for your birthday and then once we kind of did like a pre-run leading up to your birthday of playing that. I guess I didn't actually play during your birthday weekend, but yeah, um, I was like present for the chat and stuff. Yep, so this is much like the game Mysterium. So one player is a ghost and your goal is to try to give people visions in the form of these artistic cards that cue them in on the person and place that uh, they can rule out as not your killer. And then ultimately you get down to the final round where you have three possible suspects and three possible locations that get paired up. And the group of psychics that are receiving these visions, that's the other players in the game, will have to choose which one is it, person in place one, person in place two, or person in place three, that was your murderer. And if they get it right, then you all win. Yay! So it's super fun game, and it actually works incredibly well uh, over Discord with a, with a camera, and or with a couple of cameras. So I use one camera kind of as an over-the-head shot of the game so that people can see the player board and, and kind of you can point to things if they kind of direct you as to where to point. It's just a three by three grid. You could use like one, two, three and ABC or something for them to call it out that way if you wanted to. And then the other thing that you that I do is in one of the text channels, I'll post all of the pictures of the cards that I hand out to each player. I'll just go, okay, here's red player's cards. Here's blue player's cards. And so they can see as the visions get handed out to each player what those cards are, and they can see the art better than what my crappy little webcam is doing uh, that I have kind of positioned over the head over the, with the over the head shot. So works super well for that. So if you're looking for a game that you can play remotely with your friends while you're stuck at home, that's a great game and a great candidate for that. Moving on. We should probably get into our hobby corner for today. We didn't actually plan in a little hobby time or talk about miniatures much in the last episode, and I think that was more of an oversight on my part and not planning what we were talking planning that piece of what we were talking about. But we definitely have been working on hobby, so I'll go ahead and start here. I've got three particular things that I wanted to bring up. The first one was I just painted up Supergirl's most recent model that I painted that come that is for the DC Universe miniatures game from Night Models. 
Uh, Supergirl was an absolute blast. I did have to hunt for her, and I got lucky that Noble Knight actually had a copy of her in stock. I don't know, probably four or five months ago. And so I got a copy of her, and I was able to get her painted. Supergirl is one of my wife's favorite superhero characters. So getting her painted up and able to be put on the table uh, or at least put on the shelf so that my wife can see it and enjoy it was was a little special for me. So I, I enjoyed that project. Now, Noble Knight also was running a painting count, uh, painting contest recently. Uh, it's actually, they're still running it. It's for February, and they need to do uh, a Tara the Silent from the Reaper Bones Black Series, which is a slightly different res- resin mo- uh, material than what the original Reaper Bones material is. It's not amazing by any case, but the price per model is really good. And honestly, the detail in the model wasn't too bad. The plastic itself kind of reminds me of that same plastic if you're familiar with like some of the old mantic zombies and and dwarves and that plastic material. It's a, it seems very much the same material. Now, I can't unfortunately show any pictures of that until after the painting contest, but sometime in February after the painting contest, I'll make sure I get a bunch of pictures of that model. Uh, I feel like I, I did a pretty decent job, but... I'm sure there'll be better painters than, than mine that'll I'll submit you know, work for that contest. But it was fun to paint, and I enjoyed it. That was great. Final thing I have to touch on is after my birthday, um, I thought I had all my presents. I got all these board games, and we did a bunch of fun stuff for my, for my birthday. But uh, about a week or so later, a package showed up for my wife, and she handed it to me and made me open it up. And lo and behold... There was an Iowata Eclipse HPCS airbrush, as well as a bunch of accessories for that airbrush in the in the ba- in the box. And I was I've I've been wanting this airbrush for a long time, uh, since I used it back in Adepticon for a class. The level of control and detail that I can do with it is just better than what I could do with my my Patriot 105, my Badger Patriot 105, or my Badger Soter. So I gave it a go on on Batman and Man Bat uh, for the Batman Miniatures game. I think they turned out really sharp. It was super fast to paint them. I got them done. I got most of the coloring done on Man Bat in probably 20 minutes and about the same for Batman. Um, and it's the the new Batman that came with the Back to, Go- uh, Back to Gotham set. So it's the big, some people call him Bedsheets Batman. So he's... A larger model with almost all the cape kind of swirling around him. Yeah, it worked great. Detail and control. I could do some things that I haven't been able to do on models. The fading looked really good. I'm really excited to paint some more models with it. I just haven't had time. So that's kind of what I've been working on. I will note that if you want to hear the full review for that airbrush, make sure you check out Conzie's Diary from the 27th of January uh, 2021. Because that's where I will re- I re- actually review that that airbrush and give you a little more detail. All right, Brian, what have you been up to? All right, I've actually been up to a fair amount lately. I kind of ran into a dead spot as COVID and stuff. I noticed that most of my hobby drive comes from actually playing with my minis. So having that out, kind of had a lull for a while, and then work was running me down a bit. But I've seemed to have turned that around um, just recently, and. Along with that same theme of getting back to it, I had some Germans I had built up in preparation for Adepticon of last year, but then Adepticon got canceled, so I kind of lost my 
drive to get those done. I still finished at that same time before, well, it was ended up just after when Adepticon would be because I kind of slowed down. I was painting my League of Assassins Batman crew before that, so I kept my motivation to finish those out at that time, but then these Germans I had got set aside, so they were an ongoing project for a long time, and I finally finished all those up. Since then, like I said, my gaming drive, my hobby drive usually comes from gaming, so I was kind of looking for a different project to get to, and one of the things, I have many Warhammer Fantasy projects that I've really never finished, so I kind of outlined, I kind of wanted it to be a goal this year. I set up like uh, assortment of VC models. It wouldn't be like a really good 8th edition army, but it's a pretty good variety of models. It would get me a big chunk of painted army finally, like 10 years later or something like that on the table, so I'm hoping that works out for a goal this year. I've kind of started in on some zombies. It took me a little bit to kind of figure out how I want to go about painting them, and I kind of got a test model going this past weekend and have some tweaks and stuff to do, but I'm excited to keep my motivation going on that project, so you'll probably see about it all this year on different social media. I'm sure it'll come up on our show again. Well, I am, I am for one, excited to see that Squarebase activity, and I'm sure there's a few out there that are listening that want to see something more Squarebases, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm pumped about it to be back to, you know, the, my favorite thing that drew me into hobby originally. So it's nice to be back. <laughs> All right. So now that you're back, let's jump back into what our main topic for today's show is. So, Brian, what are we talking about today? Yeah, I guess we didn't mention it earlier. Going to cover another board game, Star Wars Rebellion. It's been out for a little while. I think it was actually released in 2016. It's a fantasy flight board game. Um, if you're familiar with Star Wars, it kind of follows along the original trilogy. Uh, you're kind of playing in that same time period of the Galactic Civil War with Imperials versus Rebels. I guess we'll break down our review kind of like last time. Our first category was kind of going over the components and quality of the game. The board game and all the cards and everything, they seem like really good quality to me. Um, I haven't had any problems playing with it, like where any of like the punch-out tokens or anything were peeling up, and the cards seem pretty sturdy. One of my favorite things on it is there's lots of cool artwork. Obviously, Star Wars has a wide array of art involved, but they're all kind of... Like, they're not, like, pictures right from the movie, but they seem, like, really kind of, like, scene-capturing artwork on most of the cards. Game board looks really good. Like, all the planets are kind of interestingly detailed uniquely. And then one of the most exciting things about this game, it does have very many minis in it. There's battle involved in the game, so you need a lot of miniatures. There's troops and crafts. They so have X-Wing and TIE Fighters, transports, AT-ATs, ATSTs, and all that stuff. There's even Death Star, and then like a under construction Death Star, and Star Destroyers, and even a Super Star Destroyer. They are just kind of bland colored out of the box. I think the Rebels are kind of like a grayish color, and then the Imperials are kind of more tannish, or maybe I flipped the colors. I think maybe the Rebels are tannish, and then the Imperials are the grayish. And they're fairly detailed for their size. I guess as far as improving them, I've seen a lot a lot of them painted up, and I think that adds a lot to it. Um, you don't need to, but 
it just pulls out some more of the detail and makes them a little more interesting. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, the miniatures in this are actually like the X wings and the Y wings and the Tie Fighters are the exact same model, basically that's used for Star Wars Armada. So they should hopefully give you an idea, kind of what the scale is on those figures. Uh, the, the there's nothing that's true scale as far as the figure sizes, but the like the Death Star and the Star Super Star Destroyer and the and the Star Destroyers are definitely bigger than uh, the little fighters and ground troops are just a little dude on a stand and it, it's all really cool like the pieces and components are all cool i will note one thing i i noticed with the components that that's maybe slightly annoying and i wish they would have come out with a better way to do it is the the game board itself while the art and the, everything that you need is on the game board it is two separate boards that you put together that you sit next to each other so you know if you got a table where the one board is able, where the boards slide around or they're it's able to bump them a little bit you know they go out of alignment and i always i just find that that's annoying it needs a large amount of table space to play the game but i do wish that you know at least there was an option or it had ever been an option from fantasy flight to buy a replacement board for the game where instead of uh, maybe it was a uh, like a, one of those mouse mouse pad mat type materials or something where you can just kind of roll it up when you're done instead of folding it and putting it in the box. Uh, that's that's like, that would be my only complaint. All the card, like you said, the cards are really good. The game itself, the components are good. I mean, Fantasy Flight's known for partially for their components, the component quality. So, and there's there's no doubt the the quality there is is very good in this game. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I wonder if it was a thing with printing or something that they couldn't just make it like one big board. And it does require a lot of the space. I guess one thing as far as like the, like a lot of times the space on the board doesn't even seem quite enough when you're moving your groups of forces around. You just end up with these kind of big piles of minis in the different systems. So even with how big the board is, you kind of end up with all your minis piled together. But it all works out in the end, I guess. We just played a game in prep for this show uh, here, uh, my wife and I, and at one point she's playing the Empire and she had so much of her fleet because she knew where the Rebel base was. She, she was just happily gathering everything as she was heading toward the fleet. And I was, we were just, I was just like, dear, why don't you stop trying to move all the models and just put the models off as a pile of, like, that's your fleet, and then just push around the Death Star. That Death Star just re represents that fleet of death that you're going to bring <laughs> down on me. Yeah, I think I've done that in some of my games also. It's just like, when you, especially when you're in a battle, too, and you have to start assigning damage to some of the models and stuff. Like, in that system, you're actually fighting, and there's just not really that space on the board to work it all out. If it's one of those really big mass battles, like it's you at least run into a couple times in the game. Yeah, well, I, maybe we should touch on a little bit on, more on that when we get into the gameplay overview. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're we're getting sidetracked. Who'd have thought? But uh, <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of ways you can kind of counter for that that I don't think they say in the official rules, but just kind of mm -hmm. ways that I think you can make that work without having to inconvenience the, the gameplay itself on the table, on the board itself. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty nitpicky things in that regard, too, as far as where you're putting your piles of minis. So it's all good. I guess getting into some like extra kind of components and secondhand stuff you can add to the game. 
I know they make foam trays for all the minis, and that's really helpful for organizing them. So when you're kind of building them in the game, you have to find each of the figures. And if you have some way to organize them all individually, that really helps. And you are limited to the number of figures that are in the thing, so it's kind of helpful occasionally to see you know, how many troopers you have left or something in the or reserve to build from and stuff like that. And having the foam trays seems really nice, especially if you were to paint them up. You would want to organize them a little better than just in, like, bags or something like that. And there all are quite a few, like, components and little pieces and stuff like that. So, like, a general organizer for those are kind of nice. So they're all just kind of segmented when you're pulling them out in the game. One thing that Kind of bothers me if you were to paint them up as a mini gamer. Like, the most of the figures don't really have bases with them. They just kind of sit on the game board. Like the troops have, the individual troopers have little bases to them, so they would stand up. But all the ships and everything like that don't have a base. And for the regular game, that's fine. But if you painted them up, I think it might be nice to have a little stand or a base to go with them. And it would probably make the starships and stuff a little more interesting to have them standing up off the table. Sure, I can see that. Um, yeah, just to jump on organizers, I think, which is, I, I agree with you on all the rest of those points, but the organizers itself, it would be really nice if you could get like a, a dual insert for the game and somebody probably makes one on Etsy or whatever. I just haven't looked, uh, but a dual organizer for the game. So you could be like, like, here's my tray for the empire player and you could just hand them. Here's your, mm -hmm. here's the empire tray and here's the tray for the rebel player. And then the game boards and the rules and stuff sit on the top. That would be pretty yeah. slick. I know they make, well, I think there are a few different people who make the organizers for them. Like the, my other buddy I play the game with, like I don't actually own a copy myself because the people I plan to play, I've already had it. But he bought the organizers and they are almost organized like that, like Rebels and Imperials, but there's a little bit of overlap just for the size of the trays to fit in the box altogether. So they would all fit in the box. Like some of them had to get mixed, but it is almost like that where all the rebels and imperials are divided, which is handy. That would be really useful. Why don't we jump into the actual gameplay overview? So Brian, why don't you talk us through how do you play this game? Yeah, so I kind of mentioned it. It's Empire versus Rebels. Um, it's technically a two to four player game. It seems more designed as a two player game since there's two sides that you're playing and the three or four player version, you're more or less just like kind of dual running the same side setting is during like the movies, the original trilogy, essentially during the civil war. So the empire's goal is to find that secret rebel base and destroy it to kind of crush the rebellion and maintain like, you know, peace and prosperity in the galaxy. Right. <laughs> yeah you mean you mean the dominate the galaxy and subjugate them to their will that's that's what you mean ah and <laughs> a lot of the empire play um is revolved around their military might and kind of intimidating their will and even like subjugating just taking over planets and ruling them more with the iron fist and then you kind of have the contrasting side is the rebel um, their military might isn't quite as big. That's an understatement. <laughs> Is it? I don't know. In, like one on one, the stuff's pretty comparable, but just they cannot amass the 
quite the fort that the Imperials are able to in the game. It is really difficult. Even right from the get-go, you look at your piddly little bit of rebels on the board compared to the <laughs> ridiculous amount of Empire stuff that starts on the board, and you're like, really? How in the world yeah, are we going to fight that? So yeah, it is very intimidating at the start, and I think in some of the earlier games, it was easy to kind of lose track of like strategy. You can't fight them head-on, like military battles as the rebels. <laughs> like that kind of ends your game really quick. So the rebels' goal is to inspire like a revolt against the empire in the galaxy, and they kind of do that by gaining reputation and allying more planets to their cause to eventually revolt against the empire and that plays out in the gameplay the number by the number uh, or the victory turn essentially so it can shorten your gameplay as they complete objectives throughout the game there's a little reputation counter that can either move up or down depending on what the rebels have been up to that'll either give the empire more time to find and destroy that rebel base or maybe the empire will run out of time and the rebels will inspire the people in the galaxy to revolt so let's talk about how does how does the game get set up, Brian? All right. Well, there's kind of like uh, basic rules and then advanced rules. We kind of mentioned earlier the board you're playing on is more or less like the whole galaxy. So you have all the different systems and the kind of the standard setup rules. It's all kind of laid out what systems the Empire start in control of and what systems the Rebels have and Based on those systems, you get like a certain number of troops along with it. And I guess I don't remember if in the basic setup it tells you exactly what troops go in each system or if you can delegate them yourselves. In the advanced version, you use the probe deck in the game to establish where the rebel and imperial systems are at the beginning. And the standard setup kind of balances it out a little bit. Otherwise, you could run into some trouble if you know, the Empire's right on top of the Rebel planets right away. Yeah, I find the the standard setup is a little more movie thematic or what you would think of if you, you know, the first uh, Episode 4 movie is kind of where the game is set up in the in the base game. Yeah, the there is, in the advanced setup, there's still a little bit of help to keep it in that realm. Like, only certain planets... Are categorized to be started established as the rebels or the imperials so it still works out that way a little bit but yeah the standard setup really follows exactly what you would expect you also have leaders in the game so there's a starting pool of leaders and the game is played out in like i guess i called them turns earlier but it's like multiple rounds so you're kind of trading turns back and forth they're divided into each round's divided into three phases. Uh, you have the assignment phase, so that's when you're kind of delegating your leaders to either complete certain missions or at least attempt to complete them or move troops around the galaxy or fight battles or oppose your opponent's missions and stuff like that. And then the command phase is next, and that's when you actually play out those missions and you trade off going turn for turn with that. And the end phase is like the refresh phase. That's when you're gathering your leaders back and occasionally building troops or recruiting new leaders throughout the game. One interesting thing is that the rebels kind of always start first in a round, and I guess that's just kind of supposed to be like the rebels have the jump on the Imperials a little bit or 
need some help <laughs> to fight against them. I don't know if it's always advantageous to be going first as the rebels. Sometimes That's it's kind of nice to see what the empire is going to do, but there is certainly that need. And well, as the rebel player, if the empire appears to be about to jump your base that you can flip that mission and move your base. So that's huge here as far as the, uh, the rebel player is concerned. And, and I think it's a game balance thing so that you can, you can uh, kind of recreate that moment in episode five, uh, the empire strikes back where the empire is coming down on Hoth and the rebels, the plucky rebels escape, you know, by the, the hair on their chin and, you know, it feels like they, they barely escape with anything at all. That's You can replay kind of that moment in this game. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of cool moments that come up in the game. I guess I was going to hint on that as one of my favorite things later um, when we say our opinions. Um, I guess I didn't cover earlier, like, the Rebel base is also assigned at the beginning. Well, it's, I guess it's more chosen. So that's like a hidden location that the Rebel player knows and it also serves as like another spot on the board, essentially. So you can the rebels are able to move troops in and out of that secret rebel base tile. You are able to move it occasionally in the game, but it remains secret, and that's what the Imperials are trying to find out the whole time. And then some of your missions allow you to move it, and it is it has to be revealed when the Imperial player moves ground troops onto the system and then if at the end of the round either it's there's like no rebels left and imperials there it's just counted as taken over or if you do it the cool way you just blow the whole planet up with the death star and then there's no more rebel base well now i know what faction you play most <laughs> of the time during this game <laughs> i've actually played both but for some reason it i don't know i get a more of a kick playing the imperials i think yeah, well, it's just more cool when the Rebels blow that Death Star up. I'm just saying. That's true. I think the last game I was the Rebels and was able to blow up the Death Star, so that was a lot of fun. Anyway, I guess picking up, I uh, covered kind of the, or have talked about the missions, but you're kind of playing with the hand this whole time. There's like four reasonable missions. They're pretty well themed. To, they're unique to the Rebels and the Imperials have their own and they're really themed well all the missions are themed to like what the imperials and the rebels will do but one of the reusable ones for the imperials is a lot of like rule by fear capturing leaders and stuff like that and the rebels have a lot of like diplomacy gain relations and systems and then also like sabotaging's a big part of the rebel abilities each player has four reusable missions and you're gaining more cards throughout the game. I guess you have a hand limit, but usually you're playing quite a few missions and they're very asymmetric in, in ability and powers, right? In what the and and play very thematically towards what the, the rebels or the Imperials are trying to do, right? Like as as the rebel player, because I've only ever played the rebels, like you start with like Mon Mothma as a leader and Leia and uh Riken, I think, and I can't remember who the other general is. Uh, yeah, I can't remember yeah. who the other other guy is that you start with but like mon mothma is clearly really good as a diplomat so you've got a mission where you can send one of your characters to uh go make an alliance or you know talk talk to a system and 
get them to back down from supporting the empire or you know which is really huge because i think the the piece that goes with those systems is when we get to the round in the when you get to the refresh phase in the game that's when and you can generate units systems that are that are in under a influence of so that they're pro empire or pro rebellion are generating are going to allow that faction to generate additional ships based on some symbols that are printed on that system for the rebel player you need to slow the empire down and one of the best ways you can do it you mentioned sabotaging which is a big deal as a as a mission as well because you that you use that to slow down the ability of an imperial system to manufacture ships and ground troops but the for the rebels you also need some stuff because you don't have any stuff so so convincing systems to uh, be pro rebels also becomes a big deal. So yeah, using you know, you know here's Mon Matha, the built-in diplomat that's able to go on that, you know, those diplomatic missions. And oh look, maybe you can get Obi Wan as a character later, who is a brilliant character to send for sabotages. I don't know why you know after watching him shut down the shield generator of the uh, or the uh, tractor beams on the Death Star, right? You know, who'd have thought he's capable of sabotaging things? So super plays thematically, Palpatine and his rule through fear and uh, you system right there. You will be mine. I don't care if I have stuff here or not. You're just imperial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, super super cool, super thematic. Yeah, I I love it. It's it's a great game. Put a few pictures up of the game I recently played uh, up with this post on the Wisco Dice website uh, when we release this episode so that you can see for yourselves how cool this game looks on the table. Right, so I kind of hinted at some of my overall thoughts before, but like the biggest kick I get out of it is just the narrative it plays out and like just all the theme that's tied in really well to the gameplay. Like it's not like a straight up battle game or anything like that. It really seems like you're kind of living out these scenarios for winning control of the galaxy and like it plays along with the movies or whatever, but you get your own like little stories in there. Like you have those same big moments, like you mentioned, like blowing up the Death Star or the Death Star blowing up planets and stuff like that. But you have a lot of like interesting ways where like maybe Obi-Wan like goes and steals the Death Star plans or something like that. Or like, you know, Vader captures like Leia or something and turns her to the dark side and stuff like that. So there's just a lot of fun story and theme that plays out in every game. That's probably my biggest like of the game. Yeah, definitely stories. Like I've, I've now I've played, this is my third game of it. And in two of the three games, I've had Luke Skywalker out and I've been able to send Luke Skywalker to Dagobah to become (laughs) Luke Skywalker Jedi Knight because that's the only way you can get that hero. He actually upgrades the character, and then you have like this pretty awesome character who also get you know they have the rings you put on the character bases. You put the little Yoda ring on him, and he's you know that gives him the ability to re-roll a dice because there's some dice that you use for resolving combats and whatnot in this, and and sometimes you can have opposed missions and whatnot. So yeah, it's, that's like really cool. You know, like send him send him off to Dagobah, and he learns how to become a Jedi. Or in, in the most recent game I played, uh, there was well Darth Vader, Darth Vader froze Han Solo and Carbonite. 
so <laughs> that happened. It didn't happen on Bespin, but um, yeah. And he wasn't rescu- rescued from uh, Tatooine. Uh, no, no, that's where a star, uh, Death Star was secretly being constructed. But hey, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot, lots of little moments like that that end, that ended up happening. And in every game I've played, the end of the game ends up in this like giant combat. And I don't. I'm sure at some point I will play as the rebels and manage to hide my base for the entirety of the game and and not and not have it completely discovered. Every game I've played up to this point, it's come down to a big epic epic battle where it's a bunch of ships on the Empire and a bunch of ground troops on the Empire <clears throat> versus whatever you could muster as the rebels. And if you can just hang out long enough, then you'll win. <laughs> if you're the rebel player and if, and if not then the empire wins and like this last game that it was my worst play as the rebels up to this point and i i thought i was doing okay but i had a couple of early combats go really statistically wrong she was able to figure out where my base was relatively quickly there was like three rounds yet to the game to go actually and i just couldn't bug out fast and i couldn't get out of there there was no the she, she, I messed up. There's a, uh, Imperial mission card where they can draw cards off the probe deck based on, based on like divide by four or something like that. However many units are in the rebel base. So if the rebel base mm-hmm. is more populated, then she gets to draw more cards than the Imperials get to draw more cards. You can oppose that mission because it's an attempt. I didn't, I didn't oppose it enough times. And so she got to be able to draw through more of the probe deck and basically had eliminated the probe deck with like three turns left to go in the game. So mm-hmm. that sucked. <laughs> that was an oops on the rebel player's part because yeah, she brought in the death star with this, like, I don't know. There must've been 30 figures of empire stuff with them. <laughs> it was, it was like, okay, uh, I've lost this game. Once you, if you can figure out how to move your stuff in like the next three turns to my rebel base, I can't get away because now there's no place. Like I have the mission, I could move my rebel base, but there's no probe deck for me to draw cards to pick a new rebel base from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the rebels are definitely fighting in time, and like, yeah, the Imperials are just kind of eliminating places for your base that the whole game. So if you come down to the end there, it's kind of dicey <laughs> if you yeah. have to move it. It's really cool. There's like all all these different things that are going on because you have that that hidden like. You need to search search the galaxy in this hidden, this kind of cat and mouse hidden thing that's going mm-hmm. on. But then you also have these, you know, relatively epic space battles. And we had a number of epic space battles in the game where, you know, I'm playing the Rebels and I'm like, okay, well, she's got like maybe a couple of TIE fighters and a transport in this system and some ground troops. Well, I should be able to beat that with my, you know, X-Wing, <laughs> Y-Wing and, uh, a, you know, maybe a a couple other ship, or maybe another ship, and, uh, uh, you know, hey, I had superior ground troops, so I can I can at least knock her off of that, that system from a ground troop perspective and then bug out. But, uh, you know, and I, I had a few of those go my way, so it was it was fun. Like, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it always hinges on big battles, or I think a lot of my games have come out to, like, the final dice roll of the turn or something like that. I think... Like, when I played the Rebels, it was the destroying Death Star moment. Just I had, like, the one X-Wing left or whatever that you needed to take it out and stuff like that. Or, like, when I played Imperials, 
coming down to the last minute of getting your Death Star into the right location. And every time I've played, especially if you flip-flop, like I've played both Rebels and Imperials, so the strategy is vastly different between the two of them. You can kind of try a different strategy every time, and it keeps it really interesting for a lot of replayability there, I think. Oh, definitely. I've enjoyed I've played it three times now. I've enjoyed the game every time, and I'm looking forward to getting it to the table again. I think, like... I've never felt like a sore loser in the game either is kind of a cool thing. Like it's just so fun and thematic and kind of crazy space battles and stuff like that. Like it's just really enjoyable, even if you come out on the technically losing side. Oh yeah. Um, I guess getting into some of the negatives, like it is pretty complex. Like I feel like there's kind of like a turn of even remembering the rules in the multiple times I've played it and stuff like that. So it's, a little bit involved to yeah. learn. Um, I guess, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a more complicated game. Um, I almost so it's always... Not really negative, but it's more something to be aware of. Um, yeah. You can dump it down a little in those earlier plays like by not using the advanced rules and stuff. But nah, The advanced rules are totally worth it, though. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I almost always watch uh, like a tutorial of how to play this game before we play the game again, <laughs> you know, because... It doesn't hit the table too often for us. We're probably, I think, a play a year right now since I bought it, mm-hmm. um, which kind of ties into you know another. It it's a really good game, but it ties into it for a negative for me is that it does have a long play time. Like we tend to play um, when it's Suzanne and I playing, our games tend to be five or six hours actually um now there's we break for things like letting the dog out or mm-hmm. or you know having lunch or whatever in that same time so it's but it's definitely a game we kind of have to plan and commit you know basically commit a day to to be able to play it so yeah i know my earlier games ended up pretty long i think some of the quicker ones have quicker is still like three or four hours or something that of like straight playing it is pretty easy to like leave it set up and come back to it at least, but um, it is definitely a long game. Except you can't remember what in the heck you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> You're taking over the galaxy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we talked we talked about if we're going to do that again of printing off like a map of the 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 galaxy for my wife or for whoever's the Empire player, and then a lot you know they could keep that as kind of a a mark off because you get the you get the probe cards but you have to try to remember yeah. what where you've been and look at those so you're constantly looking at this hand of probe cards and we're like yeah. man it'd be really nice if you could just check that off on like a uh you know a printout of the the galaxy and be able to yep i know they're not here i know they're not here and then you can keep that secret or whatever i don't know yeah, if it takes away from the the complex uh, you know maybe of the gameplay but it seems like that be something that wouldn't really break the game to just add it in as something that helps yeah i don't think that would take away that from the gameplay at all it's more like an inconvenience of how hard it is to keep track of your probe deck or that you've discovered and like it's hard because you got to keep it secret from the rebel player because you want you don't want them to know where you know their base isn't and stuff like that like i saw one neat thing pretty much like you said this guy made this little like stand or whatever where he just had push pins to mark off all the systems he had probed and that would be a really added bonus to 
the Imperial player to be able to keep track of that a little easier. I usually end up sorting all my cards out by systems, but even then I'm still like rechecking them probably like five times a turn. Um, <laughs> yeah. Where was I going now? Where where yeah. were where were they not? <laughs> so yeah, that's definitely really hard to keep track of. Um and then getting to that same thing, like I mentioned earlier, it really seems like just a two player game. I think that's kinda like why you and I haven't played against each other is because when it comes to two-player games, there's a lot of other like mini games and stuff we'll go to first. So, and that kind of limits it on like board game days and stuff like that to just have two people sequestered for that long playing the game. You talked about the combat a bit in the gameplay. Like it's just an ordinary kind of dice-off system. So it's kind of dull and a little tedious at times, but it's it's effective enough, you know, to play out those battles and leave some chance to it and everything like that. And um, I mean, it's not bad, but, and it's not meant to be like a combat battle game or anything like that, but it's, I don't know, maybe there could be something a little different there if you had to be like nitpicky and pick out for an improvement. Um, that kind of leads into, there is an expansion for it. Um, that's the Rogue One expansion and you've actually played this. I owned it. I think I got it for Christmas last year, right before COVID. <laughs> so I haven't been able to play the game with it at all but what did you think that added to the game so one of the big ads is it adds green dice to the combat mechanic and green dice are probably a little more statistical to fail but they can be used to do red or black damage so there's there's a notion of you know ships are our ships and ground troops can only take black damage or can only take or require red damage or t- require black black dice damage to damage them so the dice are the black dice and the red dice are effectively the same have all the same sides it's just the the color of dice is what the the factor deciding factor is there um, when you're in combat so the green dice really add a, a new uh, change up and then the, the the ships that are come the the ships and the ground troops that come with uh, the Rogue One expansion, I think, add a add a bit to the game. Like the the Imperials get the interdictor, and um, uh, some new Tie Fighter. I can't remember what it's called. And yeah, uh, the atmosphere Tie Fighter. Yeah, and they get a tank and uh, you know some things. And the Rebels get like a they get a new infantry dude that's got a missile launcher, uh, which is you know nice because now I can damage you know have another tool to damage those vehicles and stuff on the on the ground and. Yeah, and then the Nebulon, yep, then the Nebulon uh, ships too. So those are actually pretty strong because they have three health to pop, and they roll two green dice, so they're pretty pretty strong for the rebels. Um, but the key is you can never amass any more dice than three. So that's what what the number of dice that come in the game. So if you generated four yeah. green dice, well, too bad you're only going to get to roll three. So, but I do find those green dice actually pretty helpful. Uh, yeah. particularly as the rebel player, I think Suzanne doesn't find them as helpful as the Imperial player. And I think that's p- really due to the fact that the Imperials just hit the board with so much stuff that you know, she's going in and in most combats or in a lot of combats and any, any combat she wants to dictate as the Imperials or any anybody that wants to dictate as the Imperial player, um, you can bring five, you know, five of each of the black and red dice. And when you need, when you can do that, the green dice are nice extras, but they don't really, you know, like, like you can just if you're the Imperials, you can just smash armor and infantry if you want. Yeah, I can see that working out like that. 
And then you get a few more leaders in the expansion, and then like the whole mission deck actually changes, I think you were saying. Yeah, right? it does. So does that put it in like the Rogue One time period exclusively yep. more so then? Yes, and the, there's a Rogue One setup as well. If you you can go oh, okay. the the setup that sets it up more more that way. So like the uh, I think in the I can't I think they start with a Death Star under construction or something like that instead of a full Death Star. I can't remember oh, the exact setups. Sense. I can't remember the exact setup, but yeah, it's it kind of sets it up so that it's uh. Uh, quite a bit different setup if you if you want to play that way or you can play the more traditional way like there's if you play with the advanced rules you can actually when you're choosing even your starting decks you can choose either the original deck or the new rogue one deck which i don't have enough experience with either one to really tell you which one's better but i feel like you get more cards overall in your mission deck if with the uh, original decks and not the Rogue One stuff. But that was just our kind of our initial impressions playing through it uh, a couple of times. And I just don't have enough plays to really know the, the in-depth strategy there, which one's better. Sure. Sounds like it changes the game to kind of refresh things if the original's gotten stale for many plays or something like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. I think that just about covers everything unless there's something else you wanted to go for um i think we just have left is what would you rate the game on one to ten i think this might be like one of my most favorite games like the i think the only drawback is just being a two-player game more i think i want to rate it as like a nine i think it'd be hard to find a more favorite game than this for me Yep. So I've actually rated it as a seven on Board Game Geek. So that's where I'm going to stick with. <laughs> I really love the game. It is by far the best narrative Star Wars game on the market today. Mm-hmm. If you want that complete narrative Star Wars experience that's going to replay the original trilogy of movies, this is the game. There isn't another game out there that does it better. That said, for me, I knock it down a little bit because the gameplay time, as well as some of the random elements uh, that put it out of control, kind of knock it down a couple of notches. It makes it fairly, for me, it makes it fairly difficult to get it to the table. I think Brian, you mentioned that a little bit. You know, you mm-hmm. know, if we get together, the two of us, like I would love to play this game against you, but there are so many other games that we want to play and that are unique, like. Oh hey, we can get together and play a miniatures game like an old yeah. Warhammer Fantasy game or or a bolt action game, which we don't get a ton of games uh, gameplay of. Or we can play this board game that we've got any number of other people that we can go play it with, and so it's mm-hmm. competing for that same time set of of time. And so because of that, I've rated it a little bit lower, but I love to play it and it's super enjoyable. And for me, a seven means that I will, given the opportunity. If somebody says, hey, I want to play it, let's play it, I will play it, definitely. Yeah, it sounds good. So, yeah, I think mine's really biased on just the fun thematic of it and less of the practicality of it. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. There is one thing I would love to try with this game, but it would require a significant time investment, and that is to take the fleets and the ground units and equate those to points for either Armada games or for the Star Wars Legion games 
for the ground battles and for each one of you know each one of those combats play it out as either an armada game or as a legion game and play it out so you're almost taking this rebellion game and the mechanics for the Star Wars Rebellion board game and turning it into a, this huge epic campaign with you and another person or even at that point you could break it into you and you know that might be a place where you break it into you and and three other people right so that you maybe get some of those extra games in like okay we're gonna have a a space we're gonna have a battle here and there's ground troops and there's space and there's space troops well those two guys go play the legion game and those two guys go play the armada game and then come back and tally up the results and that's what we know that happens in that system yeah pretty cool I definitely think that would be really cool and, and a different take on this. And I think it would really work well. It's just the time investment. You know, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're going to play this game probably for a full year at that point. Yeah, that'd be like a long campaign, basically. So, But it would be fun. <laughs> all right. So today we've, we've kind of caught up on our hobby. We've caught up on a bunch of board games we've been playing uh, virtually online. Talked about Cabin Con for me. That was a big thing that happened recently. And then we talked a bunch about Star Wars Rebellion and gave you hopefully a good feel for this game as well as uh, some of our our personal feelings on uh, whether this is a game that we feel you should pick up or not or, or, you know, how much we do enjoy it. Of course, you know, we both are big fans of this game. We're never going to review anything on the show that we really don't care for. So you're, you're going to hear some positive reviews. And, you know, we're just taking the time to review stuff we like. Uh, definitely some good stuff about uh, all of the games that we played and talked about on the show. Thank you guys so much for taking the time and listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show on your favorite place to find podcasts. Make sure you take the time to give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on our blog at wiscodice.com. Brian, what is that site? Wiscodice.com. Yeah, that is right. It is wiscodice.com. Until next time, peace out. Later. <laughs>